You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. What's up, guys? Richie here, and this is Band Geek episode 56. Uh, in this episode, me and Jarrett are going to sit down and talk about some current events, and we're going to have a conversation and do a podcast like that. Uh, before we get started, we appreciate everybody supporting our podcast. And Jarrett, you want to take it from here? Oh, oh, hello, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the intro, Band Geek fans. Uh, if you don't know by now, uh, if you go to riotcast.com slash bandgeeks, click on the Amazon banner up top. Uh, and then it redirects you to Amazon, and a small percentage of your purchase goes towards supporting the show, which really helps us. It allows us to do more fun things and uh, eat pizza and eat pizza for and uh, get things when we have guests. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and thank you for uh, rating and subscribing and uh, just generally listening to the show. Um, tell people about it, retweet, repost, all that kind of stuff. Cue intro music. Welcome to Band Geek. <laughs> We're still sitting here. That was the intro music that I uh, recorded for the show. Um, actually, this is not the only show I've done music for. Uh, I've done the music for the current music on the whole podcast. That's me. Um, and I sort of did that because I was on Rob's show a few times. And then uh, Nick DiPaolo was starting his show. And he needed music. And he gave me like three or four examples, and I had to write a song based on that. Um, but I think all the songs had cowbell in it, which I was very <laughs> excited about. So if you listen to the Nick DiPaolo show on Riotcast, the, um, that's me doing the theme music, and the cowbell is so loud, it's that you definitely don't need any more. And if you listen to the theme song for The Hole, that's Richie at the end going, Welcome to The Hole. <laughs> that's Richie's sexy female voice at the end of that. That's right. I had to uh, do another... It used to be called The Glory Hole, that show. So I had to do an edit when they changed the name. I didn't charge them for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing out money. You're losing all your fortune and glory. <laughs> Actually, uh, this week I'm working on a project for a guy named Joe Maluzzo. And his band is... It's sort of like... Uh, the band is him. But uh, it's like a concept uh, that he calls Night Spirit. And... Our former guest, Dennis Lieflang, is the drummer on it, and I just got sent a bunch of ridiculously awesome drum tracks from Dennis uh, that, that he played on, and I'm, I'm responsible for putting uh, rhythm guitars, bass guitar, and lead guitars on some of this, uh, on, well, rhythm and bass on everything, and, uh, excuse me, and um, lead guitars on a few songs, because he has other guest players. I think he's... Uh, Got some guy from Holland playing a few solos. and That's um, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, Dennis is playing guitar solo. And um, I think we're also working on getting... This is sort of a funny thing. He he really likes um, 
Trans-Siberian Orchestra, this, this guy Joe. So he asks me if I know anybody from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and I, I, I do, actually. So I emailed my friend, uh, and I said, you know, would you, mind, would you want to play a solo on this guy's project? And he said, yeah. And he said, and when am I going to be on BandGeek? Which I was totally not expecting. <laughs> yes. So we're going to have, we, we have a, a slew of special guests. Uh, pl- I, haven't, th- I mean, they're coming up. I haven't scheduled them yet. But I'm working on it. We're going to have the Siberian? <laughs> One of the Siberians, yes. <laughs> From the Trans-Siberian Orchestra? That's We're right. having the Siberian? We need to get the trans person. <laughs> <laughs> That's Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> and then the orchestra yes. is just that guy on the street that just you know has a bass drum on his back and symbols <laughs> on his knees. So yeah, that's coming up. I have um, another person I've been in contact with. Is it bad that I'm talking about upcoming guests? I should not give it away? No. I mean, well, you're not really pooching anything, but it's something to look forward to. I didn't even know about this until right now. Well, it's, yeah, because I, I forgot to tell you. This is a good time for us to exchange information that's necessary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have... Uh, yeah, he, so that guy's coming up. Uh, his name is Angus Clark. Um, and I actually played with him before in a... Uh, Queen Symphonic gig. Which is different from the Queen Extravaganza. Yes. That's actually the same gig I played with uh, Brandon Etheridge. So if I get this guy, we'll have the whole band. Because it was Brandon Etheridge on piano, John Michelli on drums, Danny Miranda on bass, I was on guitar, and this guy Angus Clark was on the other guitar. Well, I won't be on that episode, folks, so... <laughs> Why not? There's not enough room. <laughs> well, not not everybody, but that, that was the band that got hired to do these symphonic gigs. Um, the way that works, I, have I just have I talked about this on the show before? You've talked about the extravaganza. I don't think you've talked about the Queen symphonic thing because it is it is different. Yeah. Um, here's how this works. Um, your local where where you live, there's most likely a local symphony or, or symphony orchestra. I mean, like a, a a local group of musicians that perform at a venue that's probably a either a cultural center or a university, most likely. And what they do is they have a subscription program. So they'll say, okay, if you like, you know, orchestral music, subscribe. And with however much you pay, if you put whatever, 300 bucks, you get tickets to every performance they do throughout the year. Which which is cool because if you like if you like orchestral music you know it's a professional orchestra it's not students you know it's not amateurs right it's usually the city or the state like it's usually like the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra right or right. The Ohio, you know the the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra or something exactly like so if you like orchestral music that's a good deal because then you get to go to like fifteen shows for that much money and, or however much it is and you know you always have something to go do now the problem with that on the orchestra is they have to come up with that many shows of original material. And that's very difficult to do. You know, when you're doing a whole season's worth of programming and it's the same, it's not like you're bringing in a different band every week. You're the same band and you have to do every week a completely different program. That's really tough. Yeah. So what they do, and this was, this was sort of a whole other world that I discovered when I was working with these guys is they hire these companies that provide singers and a conductor and charts. So it's usually a two-day thing. 
So the say the show is on. Say you're doing shows on Friday and Saturday for the uh, subscribers, right, or the or audience or whoever wants to come. On Thursday, the singers and the conductor show up with their music. You have a rehearsal all day on Thursday where the orchestra sees the music for the first time on Thursday, right? Then on Friday and Saturday, those are the gigs. Yeah. And you just play it. Yeah. So they'll say, okay, we're going to do the best of Broadway. So, or, you know, Andrew Lloyd, not even, we can even do more specific, Andrew Lloyd Webber. So they'll bring, you know, singers that, you know, okay, we, have, we have two girl singers, like an alto and a soprano, and two guy singers, like a deep one and a tenor, and they're going to, you know, each do different songs. Like, this guy's going to do Music of the Night. This guy is going to do, uh, name another fucking Andrew Lloyd Webber song. Jesus Christ, Superstar. Yeah. So, and they'll, and they'll go through it, and they'll switch up. And then, usually towards the end, you'll have all four singers on stage doing, like, an ensemble piece, and they'll do harmonies. It's really cool. Uh, and it's it sounds pro because these people have been singing these songs, you know, on you know, on a tour. Yeah. And they they tour doing all these local orchestras. And so it's good for them because they get a built-in orchestra to play with every week of pros. Yeah. And the uh, local orchestra, they get new music in. So what we did, our thing, was a little more than just a singer. Ours was they, su- they supplied four singers, um, a conductor with the music, a producer – and a rock band, so we were part of that rock band that did it, and you know we had the charts because you know most rock musicians are illiterate and can't really read too well. <laughs> so I had the charts like weeks in advance, so I could you know write my little cheat notes on it. And you know we went down there, we uh, played with the orchestra. They sight read the whole fucking thing on the spot. That's their job. Yeah, then we played the next day, and it was awesome. We did all Queen music. Uh, I did another one with the same group. Uh, it was the best of the West End. You know what the West End is? In London, the theater. Yes, the London Theater District. Yeah. And then Anne-Marie did one. She did a... Uh, I think she also did a Queen one with a different music company. Yeah, she... I remember... Yeah, it was a Queen thing. So that's going to be cool to have him on. Another guest I have planned is uh, Hanan Rubinstein. Go ahead, Muff. Oh, I'm sorry. Is he Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, he's he's a producer, but he's also he plays with Al Cardi in um, Alicia Keys' band. Cool. He's a great guitar player, and we're starting to talk about you know what kind of music he'd want to play. The thing is, I really have to know that ahead of time because I have to sort of plan what other support musicians we're going to have on for the show, right? And see if I could you know get someone who will gel. You know, get Al, get Randy. <laughs> just have that would back. be great. Just have him back on. That would be great. But it took them. To, I don't think they ever want to come back here again. It took them like two hours to get here from there from where they live. Oh boy. Um, and and also we're gonna have uh, Rob and Chris from the Hole come on the show. Andy has a friend he wants to have on the show too. This guy D.W., a bass player who's played with everybody. Yeah, it's weird. He ha- it's like a very six degrees uh, um, of Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. thing where he was telling me and he's like oh but he's also played with uh um you know this guy on we will rock you which danny's played like it was like yeah, this weird very incestuous this uh <laughs> music business i'm going to one of those like orchestra things oh, yeah? soon um i'm going to see it's back to the future live in concert oh wow 
Um, it's at Radio City. It's in the middle of October. It's for the 30th anniversary. And what they do, but they're going, it's the same thing. Like, you know, the movie and the event go from place to place. But they get, they have a cut of the film from Universal. And they, do, they do this for lots of movies. They just did it for like Danny Elfman stuff and, and uh, a bunch of other things. Yeah, I heard they're doing it for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so what they do is they get a cut of the film where the music is taken out. And then, oh. so you sit and you watch the whole movie, but the entire score is played by a live symphony. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I've never been to one before, but I've seen like videos on YouTube about it and... You know, because I love Back to the Future. I was... So what do you expect? Let me ask you something, because, you know, I know you're a movie buff. What are you expecting from that? Like, are you expecting to be blown away by the awesomeness of the music? Or are you going to watch the movie and sort of forget that this is an orchestra there? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's like you want to go and see the movie on a giant screen because they've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff recently where they'll re-release something for like a week. Yeah. Um, but I like even though it's, you know, a movie and people are like, oh, it's Back to the Future. But like. Hearing like a seventy-piece orchestra going like, like I just think that's gonna be so cool to hear live for sure. Yeah, I mean, what movie? I mean, Star Wars would probably awesome to probably be awesome to see live with an orchestra. Any John Williams stuff, so indie, uh, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, um, Lord of the Rings would be cool. I'd, I'd out of the Indiana Jones movies, I'd definitely vote for um, Last Crusade. Why? Because it has all that like Nazi music and it's like all that march stuff. Everything goes. But the but Temple of Doom has that like fall off the cliff like Indian like twang to it. I can't think of what I can't think of how it goes right now, but it does. You just want them to do anything goes live with Kate Capshaw for the poison you just drank. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'll definitely give you feedback on it after I see it. But I'm. I'm looking forward to it. it what are tickets cool. for that cost? I paid seventy five bucks, and I'm sitting all the way in the nosebleeds. But I figured. But I. But it's like a cool thing. It's not bad at Radio City. Like it's not bad. The but the like three rows in front of me was like one hundred and fifty, and three rows in front of that was like two hundred and seventy five dollars. Oh jeez. Like that seems like a lot. But seventy five bucks didn't seem too bad for me for a concert. Um, we did, we had a, uh, busy weekend with Blue Oyster Cult and, um, we did, uh, we played Bakersfield, California and then we did Yakima. What is Yakima? Washington. It's like two hours away from Seattle. So Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it was funny while we, we had a day off in Seattle, so we're looking for stuff to do and... We see everybody walking around with badges on. Uh, there was a convention next door. What kind of convention? I couldn't figure. I figured it out as <laughs> I didn't know. And but people are walking around with like tails, and like dressed as pirates and shit. So I I, I never got to the bottom of it because we got we got to Seattle at like four o'clock, five o'clock. So everything was sort of winding down by the time we got there. And then our gig, we had to leave early the next day. Right. Excuse me. Um. So we couldn't really do anything, but I found out there was a steampunk convention. Uh, all right, all right, so, that makes sense. So I think so. Jules asked me, "What's steampunk?" And I said, "Jules Verne and shit." Look, <laughs> <laughs> Key and Peel. Uh, ever seen that? Uh huh. I'm steampunk now. What's steampunk? Jules Verne and shit. <laughs> did I did I tell you the story about I was in Chicago and I went to um, was it Wizard World? 
No, I'm sorry. I went to a Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel fan convention. And of it was, course you did. And it was at, like, you know, a, a convention center that's, like, attached to a hotel. How many cats do you have again? <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> I have two. One of them happens to be named after a Buffy vampire. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, anyway. But, no, I, so we went. Uh, me and, me and this, uh, a friend of mine went. And, you know, it's like going to, like, that Star Trek convention we went to. It's, like, it's not huge. But we got there, and it was, like, lines and lines and lines. I never went to a Star Trek convention. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's true. We didn't go to a Star Trek convention. (laughs) We went to a a bunch of picnic tables set up (laughs) selling really overpriced autographs. Um, But we did see Neelix and Odo tell dick jokes. That was fun. We did see that, yes. (laughs) Um, But so we go, and um, there's this huge, like, massive line for the, like, to get in. And I'm like, this seems way larger than it's going to be. But everybody was dressed like a raccoon or like a rabbit or like had like a big Final Fantasy sword. And like, so I worked my way up to the front and it turned out it was an anime convention. Oh. And then I, I was thought like, you were going to say it was like a furry a convention. A furry convention. Well, that's what I thought. Each other. <laughs> that's what I thought first. <laughs> and then we go to the front of the line and um, I'm like, hey, uh, there's supposed to be another fan convention. And they're like, oh, that's in the other building and it's down this hallway. And we go. And it's literally like that Star Trek thing. It was in like Ballroom C, and it was like ten tables set up with like overpriced merchandise. Can I can I go uh, tangential on you for a second, please? You just remind me of something. I remember that vacation I went to that was so great that you didn't get to go to. Oh, 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 oh private joke. Oh, private joke. Anyway, um, let to let our listen let uh, to let our listeners in. Uh, I think two thousand nine. I went on the greatest vacation of my life. I went to Japan with uh, Anne Marie and uh, two of our friends, and I invited Muff, but it was it was not a good time for him to go, and it was not a cheap vacation. Also true. Uh, so we went there, and me and uh, one of my friends who went with me is my friend Steve, uh, who is someone I went to kung fu with. So we had like a whole martial arts itinerary planned. Uh, our other friend who went, Damien, his plan for the trip was to retrace the steps of Scarlett Johansson <laughs> from that fucking movie. Uh, what, what Lost, was it? Lost in Translation. Yeah, Lost in Translation. Avengers? So, <laughs> no, he was he was on his own vacation where he wanted to go to all the places Scarlett Johansson visited and Lost in Translation. I don't know. That's the fruitiest thing I ever heard anybody do. But I do that, but I do that locally when I go to California and Chicago. I go to places that... That Scarlett Johansson has been to? Yes. I could talk about her album. We, let's go back to your story first, though. Oh, that's right. I worked on her album. Go on. Okay. Hold that thought. We're going to get back to that. Um, so Steve and I, we looked up, like, what cool, like, martial arts things can we do? We're in Japan. Like, this is one of the, you know, the the big centers of the world for martial arts. There's, like, you know, there's karate, judo, kendo, uh, iaido, uh, sorry. Um, so, all, like, all these martial arts come from Japan. So one of the things that we that we did is we said let's go see a kendo class. And we found out that Budokan has a kendo class. You know what Budokan is? Uh it's the uh National Convention for Buddha. <laughs> Budokan <laughs> 2000. Budokan. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Budokan is uh, Budokan is the big arena in Japan. That's like when you know, 
like you know, live from Budokan, Deep Purple. Oh right, why didn't I? No, the live from Budokan is um, Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. So that's where my brain goes. It's the big like arena. You know what I mean? Um, But I think Budokan is actually, um, I think it actually translates into something like martial arts hall because Budo, I believe in Japan means like martial arts or martial. So. Whatever. J- Japanese listeners, please tweet me and tell me what Budokan means in, in English, please. I'm sure they'll tell you what something else means in English yeah. <laughs> and Japanese. Um, so we asked the concierge at the hotel, we're like, we want to go see uh, Kendo at Budokan. She's like, no. <laughs> she says, no, there's no Kendo. And I'm like, no, no, no. We, we, I found it online or in this book that you know there's Kendo there. Um, for our listeners who don't know what Kendo is... Kendo is Japanese fencing, uh, but instead of using like metal foils like we like we do or, or the English do, what they use are like thick bamboo sticks, and they have heavy padded armor and and like these like hockey masks, and they whack the shit out of each other. It's awesome because they're hollow, right? So that it's like it's heavy, but it's quick. Oh no, it hurts! I have one upstairs. I'll <laughs> I'll show I'll show you. It's called a shinai. Oh. Um, isn't that what the isn't that what the Australians no the Indians play the thing that goes. Isn't that called a shanai? What? The instrument that that Indian music has. It's called a sitar. No, not that instrument. The one that sounds like a broken clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I, I, I swear I'm not I'm not like being racist like I usually am, but I think it's called the shanai. <laughs> look it up. It might be spelled differently, but I think that's what it's called. Shanai. Uh, like a flute, you're saying? Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I don't think so, man. And the Australians play a didgeridoo, and that goes... <laughs> Alright, back to my story. So... Budokan! So she... She says, oh, you want to go see a concert? I said, no, I want to go see Kendo. And she's like, looking at me like I'm crazy. But anyway, in Japan, like, service is king. So they will they will bend over backwards. So she was, like, on the phone for, like, 15 minutes calling, like, the ticket office at Budokan. And she's like, okay, I found what you're talking about. You have to go to the basement of Budokan. <laughs> so I'm like, really? She goes, yes. She goes, there's a back entrance. You ask someone when you get there. You have to go to the basement. Like, all right. So we go to Budokan. It's fucking massive. It's Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, it, the surroundings are a beautiful, like, garden. It's it's awesome. You got you got to go to Japan. We I'll, I, I got to go back and you got to come with me. Does it look like the Meiji Shrine? Everything <laughs> looks like the Meiji Shrine to you. But um, the, the Meiji Hello, Shrine is beautiful, by the way. The Hello Kitty Factory. The, the Meiji Shrine is is Central Park. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's what that is. That makes sense. Um, so... The so we go there and there's a boy band playing that night. So there's like tons of people, girls everywhere, and all this traffic. And we get out of our cab and we're like, uh, <laughs> "Where's the basement?" And finally, we find like a security guard who's like mobbed. And I'm like, "We said, you know, excuse me, uh, where's the basement?" He's like, "Oh, Kendall." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> so he so he stops. He leaves his post and walks the four of us all the way around the building until we get to this little entrance like a back entrance and there's a tiny room and there's like 30 people 40 people in there it's like it's like this it looks like you know a rec center 
Yeah. You know, and they're practicing kendo. And they all have the armor on. And there's a teacher and there's all these things. And, and they're all getting everybody's like, everybody's like very polite, you know, because Japanese people are on the whole. I have my experience is they're very, very nice and friendly and, yeah. and soft spoken. So they go, oh, you know, very, very, very soft spoken voices. And they put on their gear and they're putting, they're getting this, their sticks and they're tying everything tight and everybody's laughing and giggling. And then the, the sensei goes, and they start beating the fucking shit of each other. And I'm like, look at everybody, like, this is awesome. And they just go, and, and, and it's not only like men, there's like little women, like the size of Amory, going, yeah! and just beating the crap out of each other. It was amazing. That's great. But we had a go to, but it's funny, I was like, I'm in Japan, I'm a musician, I'm in Budokan, and I'm watching people hit each other with sticks. I'm not going to see a concert. <laughs> And finally, the next day in the Japanese paper, it says, Japanese boy band mobbed as security guard leaves his post. <laughs> that was a cool... You know, I, I, did, do some, I did do some musical stuff uh, while I was in Japan, too. We, uh, one of the things we had planned is uh, the sword fight choreographer from Kill Bill... Uh, you, know, you know the sword fight between Uma Thurman and Lucy Liu at the end of the... Uh, is the first Kill Bill movie? Kill yes. Bill movie? Yeah, because it's... The House of Blue Leaves, mm-hmm. right? That guy, uh, the name was Tetsuru Tamaguchi? Tetsuro was his name. But um, he, uh, he taught a class in Tokyo, uh, samurai sword fighting. So me, Anne-Marie... My friend Damien, my friend Steve, we all took this class, and he taught us how to like duel and how to fight each other. It was awesome. But then, at, and he was he was very cool. And I actually, you know, I told him, I said, you know, we're all martial arts students, and he goes, oh, that's very good, very good. And you know, he goes, you know, I'm showing you how to do like choreographed, like I'm not teaching you how to kill each other. Right. I'm teaching you how to not kill each other and do like cool looking. I said, no, we do, we understand, we do movies too, and we showed him a scene from Tiger's Fang when Master Lane. Uh, pulls out AJ's heart uh-huh. and he goes he's watching and he goes oh a kung fu movie like yes he goes oh master he's because when Lane you know, the guy spoke like five words of English he had a translator <laughs> the whole time That's awesome. but he was super nice um, was that the guy who was showing you the swords and he was like, who knows what this is? No, no, that's another thing. Oh, that was a different thing? There, there were tons of funny like, you know, <laughs> lost in translation moments on that trip, oddly enough. But um, so after taking his class, he invited us to a concert. He goes, would you like to, I'm performing tomorrow at a concert. So, you know, I didn't want to be disrespectful. I'm like, yeah, of course, we'll go. So we went and this concert opens up. There's a girl playing piano and, and singing beautifully. Like, just very soft. She's wearing, like, a kimono. And she's singing. And she's playing. And then, like, a guy will come up on stage and do, like, a form. Right? Like a, like a sword form. And it'll be very slow and, you know, looks really nice with the music. And then all of a sudden, like, a backing track kicks in. And someone throws, like, a staff up in the air. And she picks it up. And she jumps off the piano and starts fighting, like, four fucking guys. Like... <laughs> And it's like, and I'm going, holy shit, what is this? And then, like, she throws the staff away, goes back behind the piano, yeah, yeah, singing again. I'm like, this is crazy. It was, it was awesome. Um, Speaking of Tiger's Fang, I don't think we've ever mentioned the fact that we know that uh, we know that we've done a bunch. Um, you can check them out on uh, Richie's YouTube channel. Or actually, just, it's, it's on Steve's YouTube channel, but you just type it in. Tiger's just type Fang. it in Tiger's Fang. Um, 
But we've never actually talked about the music. You also composed a full soundtrack. I never Tiger's released Fan. it. I, I, I sold it. at We, we had a, um, a premiere. Yeah. A premiere party at a comic book store, which is really cool. Uh, I never sold it. I never sold it like on iTunes, but I sold it there. And I sold out of copies. Like, people love that thing. Maybe I should release it on iTunes. You should. I think you should tag, maybe put, a, put maybe a little bit at the end of this episode, like a sample of something. Oh yeah, you could do that. But I like, and I'm not even joking. There's some things in that soundtrack that's in my gym workout mix. The montage is in there. Every time I, every time that pops up on my like iPhone shuffle, yeah, I said this is like the best thing I ever recorded. It's you know, it's simple. It was it, it fit the. It's you know, it's all like '60s '70s, you know, period stuff. And your your movie, your Tiger's Fang movie intro music is what plays when you call me on the phone. Really? That like Shaw Brothers like. Yeah. I did like the Brian May version of the Shaw Brothers uh, <laughs> intro. Uh, I'm, I am working on Tiger's Fang 10. I actually finished another shot last night at 3 in the morning. Oh. And we're scheduled uh, to go into the green screen room at Phoenix Studios mm-hmm. on Monday night. We'll be shooting a scene that involves uh, duplicating my cousin Phil a lot of times. <laughs> I'm basically shooting a scene that is an army of Phil's. Which is not the first time you've done that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to do some graphic stuff. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I I hate masking. You know what masking is? Masking is um, where you put on a kabuki play. And masking. Okay, here's a little video uh, info for people. When when you do green screen, it's it's never automatic. Like unless your green screen is very is lit perfectly, there's there's always gonna be problems. Like sometimes a shadow. You know, shows up in the wrong spot, and then the green screen isn't perfect. So you have to mask out, like draw a box frame by frame over the things you need covered up. So that's what I'm doing right now. Oh, so you're the, masking. Yeah. Him. So there's a shot where where you know our friend Damien is fighting someone, and every time he moves his head into a certain part of the frame, like the a shadow pops up behind him that makes the the background fade away. Right. So I have to like go in frame by frame. And mask that out. I know. Perfect uh, example of masking is if you look at our "What a Fool Believes" video. Mm-hmm. When I had to blur people's faces out, right? That's a mask. Sure. And I had to do that frame by frame. Would have been easier just to wear, ask them to wear blurry face masks. <laughs> Excuse me. I know you're eating your McNuggets, man. Everybody, but... avert your eyes from the camera so I don't have to blur you out later. <laughs> Unbelievable. So anyway, we uh, back to my original story. We we played this gig in. Uh, in in Yakima, Washington, and there were a few um, hardcore BOC fans there. Uh, a few familiar faces that we see a lot of the shows. Chris Khan. Oh yeah, Chris Khan. Chris Khan. I actually I took a selfie with Chris Khan. I should post it. <laughs> um, and a few few other. Uh, you know, we have a, a fan that comes to a lot of our shows. A, a woman named Cheryl Peterson, who's a band geek listener. Shout out to you, Cheryl. Hello. Um, but anyway, she posted uh, a few pictures of us. And uh, you're gonna love this muff. Oh Wait, God. is that? Did she post that new like awesome picture of you? Like that's Rosalie. So, oh, okay. Oh, uh, all right, all right. Um, Ros- Rosalie Carlson, our friend, friend of the show. Uh, so, so Cheryl Peterson posted these pictures, very nice pictures, 
and you know I'm doing my thing, and someone posts that stop making stupid faces, just play the guitar already. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the appropriate thing to start dissecting that comment. First of all, <laughs> I. All right, I'll be honest. I, I, I looked at it. I got offended, right? I was like, what the fuck? Then, then I just thought about it. I just started laughing. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. Well, first of all, you do make stupid faces. <laughs> but aside from that, <laughs> when they're captured on film, <laughs> why why do... Okay, here's a, good, here's a good topic of conversation. Why do, and especially drummers, I find, mm-hmm. but why do musicians make such weird faces when they're playing? I can tell you, me personally, I never did it consciously. I never saw someone do it and said, I'm going to emulate that. It just sort of happened. It's, um, you know, some people don't, and that's fine. Uh, and some people do, and that's fine too. Like, I'm, like I didn't see when I was a kid, like a Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, video. I'm like, oh, got to make those faces. Right. You know what I mean? You know, it's something my dad does, um, and it's something that genetically I do, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's not just you. It's not that you get it from your dad. It's just, like, anytime somebody's soloing or something like that, they make that weird, like, squished Robert De Niro face. And, like, you know, drummers, when they, like, hit a cymbal, they'll make, like, a like an elongated, like, ooh, like, kind of... You know, and the thing is, it's not only performance. Like, if I'm sitting down here, by, like, I'll... I'll feel my face like hurts or is like tense after a recording session because when I'm doing it, I'm like really it's it's like a facial furrow. You know what I mean? Like you're furrowing your whole face. Uh, it's usually just concentration. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know. It, you, you're into it, like it, it. Okay, if if you were having sex with somebody and they weren't making like faces, you, you know what I mean? Like. You would think they weren't really having a good time. Here we go. <laughs> I just saw I just saw ten different jokes like coming to your brain. You're bottlenecked right now. You so can't even say one. Many jokes. It was there was a you you guys just missed I just stopped you. I spared you from a self deprecating muff disappointed woman joke. Am uh, I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? No, you're well, yeah, all right. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm gonna no. I'm gonna save myself the embarrassment. But it, yeah, I, it, it's a muscle reaction. I get it. When you're when you're into something, it's like when you're dancing. It's just you know, this sounds incredibly stupid, but it's like you feel the rhythm, I guess. And it's just like you're you pulling your hands in a certain direction, like to to get a higher note or to hold like a sustain mm-hmm. or something like that. Like that travels up your body. But it's just it's so weird. Like all musicians do it. No, I'm also. And I'm not like trying to say I have this amazing ability. I'm just saying that I feel very connected to what I'm doing. Um, it's not like, you know, it's it's not like automated responses or whatever. It's just like I feel like I'm tr- I feel connected to what I'm doing, and you know, you shouldn't feel. I feel like I, you shouldn't feel disconnected to the guitar. You should feel, you know, like it's part of you. Right? No. Yes, just like when I'm un- not satisfying a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I make the same face as you do. Well, that's why I'm like really particular about uh, 
the way a neck feels on a guitar because I want to feel like connected to it. I want it to fit into my hand a certain way. So I, what? I can't have a, okay. <laughs> it's my fault. I brought up the topic. But no, I get it. I do. I, I, I get it. So anyway, this person that, that has trolled me and he not, and here's the other thing. This person didn't do it on one post. There were two posts. There was a separate post with a video and a similar comment about my fucking face was wait, on wait, there. Wait. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this guy in in moving motion and still motion. <laughs> well, okay. I gotta realize that his face is stupid when it's moving and when it's staying still. Let me. Okay, I just wanna. I wanna clarify something. I've been very fortunate on the internet because the internet is a very cruel and unforgiving place. People can be very mean. I've been very lucky. I've met mostly, I'd say, 99% of the people I've interacted with online have been super nice, helpful, positive, you know what I mean? And I try to do that myself. I try to only post positive stuff. Just because, why? Why post something shitty? You know what I mean? Right. There's tons of shitty stuff out there. Why contribute? Yeah. So, um, the... uh, Here's one trolling thing. I mean, I'm not immune to trolls, though, but I, I can count on my, my hands the amount of times I've been trolled. Okay, the famous uh, band geek troll is All the Pies. That's a good one. That's about me being overweight. That's a good one. Thank you for that. Um, the other troll, this is a good one, too. Uh, there was, I was playing a gig uh, at the NAMM show. And someone asked me, the people I was doing this gig for, they said, can you sing a Blue Oyster Cult song with us? I said, well, you know, there's a song that I sing with the band called Hot Rails to Hell. Um, that's, I, I, that's, not, that's one that I sing normally. Would you want to do that? And they said, sure. Send us like a YouTube video of it so we can listen to it and decide if we want to do it. Okay. So I go on YouTube. I look up Hot Rails to Hell, Blue Oyster Cult Live. And I see a video. And I was to, oh, this is a good performance of it. And the first comment, top comment, is, this sucks. Um, <laughs> something like, Richie sucks. He doesn't sing it as good as the original. Um, fuck you. Or something, I don't know, something, to that, something to that extent. So I'm like, oh. I was like, all right, I'm not going to convince these people to do this song if the first comment, the top comment is, this is bad. Yeah, Richie sucks. It's not like the original. Okay. Because I, I didn't sing the original, uh, obviously. So I find another video. This sucks. Richie does not sing this well. Not as good as the original. Same guy. Long story short, I go through 10 different live videos. This person made it his point to go to every single video of me singing the song live to express his hatred for me and my interpretation of this song. <laughs> it's weird that Eric would go comment on his own <laughs> music and live performances and just to say that you're terrible. Eric does of- troll me, but it's always with love. <laughs> Eric definitely trolls me on Facebook. He definitely does. It just seems like it's a little out of the way. He could just tell you face to face. Just passive aggressively comments on live performances on YouTube. Of That's right. <laughs> no, I have to really um, thank Eric because every show we do, Eric plugs the podcast. Yeah, 
He says, you know, go to riotcast.com, check out Bandgeek, you know, and he's been very, very supportive and helpful to doing this. So thank you, Eric, if you're listening. Um, Eric would just tell me, like, why are you even talking about this? Just ignore anybody <laughs> who's, you know, fucking with you. But I do find it funny that some, because, you know, <clears throat> I would never go up to somebody and say these things. And if I don't feel comfortable enough, I, I know I'm in the minority here. If I don't feel comfortable enough to go up to someone and say something to, to their face, I'm not going to type it to them either. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's the genius of the internet. You can you can slam people anonymously, and it's it's that thing of like, you know, somebody cuts you off and you flip them off, or you hunt. like it's just a it's a gut reaction, and now people just type it out and they just don't care. See, part of my my reaction when I saw the thing about my stupid face is that. Um, <laughs> Is I'm like, oh yeah, next time you're at a show, come say it to my stupid face in person. But I'm like, what am I? What am I a tough guy now? Uh, but then I thought it was over, and then someone else jumped in and said, yeah, he does make stupid faces. Cut that out. And I'm thinking like, I can't. It's not. It's you know, it's like I'm just as God made me. It seems weird that Don would comment on Eric's posts on YouTube. About how your face is stupid. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that. You know who else said that? My great grandmother, may she rest in peace. She would say, He plays lovely, but he makes the and the and the and the and the and she would make all those sort of sounds to describe my faces. Thank you, great grandma. I love that. So that is the uh that's that's the trolling I'm I'm dealing with now. It's I, I'm always just amazed at how much trolling the people do like but you gotta understand even like in a sea of like thousands and thousands of comments like the bad ones are always in caps oh yeah no they're, they're very easy to pick out the bad ones are the ones you remember yeah like if people if you see like a thousand nice comments and one shitty one you'll be thinking about the shitty one and that's what makes trolling a beautiful thing you know even when i'm on youtube and i want to say something shitty, I'll write it and then I'll delete it. I can never bring myself to posting it. I can't troll that way. I did I all right, I did write one negative comment on a YouTube video once and I will and I'll tell you what it is. Um a friend of mine who's a singer did a uh children's recital, uh you know, a student recital. And he was singing and this this guy is a great performer. He's like sort of like a Steven Tyler type of guy and does the whole, you know, like dances around and and so Basically, there was a video, a DVD from this school's music recital for the children. And my friend was singing lead for all these songs. And he was doing his lead singer thing. Well, somebody took this video and edited out, like, the most outrageous or, I guess, embarrassing moments from that thing. Like, if he forgot a word or if he did, like, a move. And he made, like, this really fucking mean compilation of... All of like all this guy's like w- things that he did during the show, right? Which I looked at it. Okay, you forget a word or something, and he he had like on screen text pointing out all the things he was doing. Right. Okay. Like you know lyrics question mark like what move is that? You know oh you know this is a children's recital, and that person I ripped a new asshole. I said. How dare you do something like this? I said, this is the, the meanest thing. I said, this person is a hardworking, great singer, an awesome frontman, and he's doing a really nice thing trying to help kids. Well, yeah, I was and, like and with you children. Took, <laughs> yeah, and you, took, and you took hours out of your life to be shitty. 
and and trash this person, you know, who's doing way more than you're doing. So that's the only negative thing I've ever really wrote on uh, YouTube. I don't think I've ever really written anything negative. Also, I just don't want to register for YouTube. So you don't have a YouTube? Uh, <laughs> no, I do. But it, like for a while, it was just like that thing. It was like for me to comment or even give a thumbs up, you had to have like a separate YouTube. Now it's all in the Google like. Rainbow. Oh, I don't but want just, to talk about that. But I'm just saying. But it's crazy. I don't know. It's just like I feel it unnecessary. Like I'm not gonna, you know, uh, you know, if I see something awesome on YouTube, I'll, you know. I'll share it and be like, check this, you know, check out this really funny thing or this awesome music or something like that. And then if I don't like it, I just ignore it. And then <laughs> I just go on to whatever. Because that's what it is. It's disposable. I didn't like it. I'll move on to the next thing that I did. When I, I get, um, <clears throat> I get uh, notifications on my email when I get YouTube comments. And every time something pops up, you got a new YouTube comment? In my mind, you know what goes through, the, you know what goes through my mind like before I open the email? You suck. You're a piece of shit. Stop what you're doing. Fuck you. I always think it's going to be that. And then I'm most of the time pleasantly surprised. But that's I, – I guess that's like a defense mechanism. It's like it's like I always assume it's going to be like, fuck you. You suck. Stop what you're doing. You know, it's the horrible um, things. It's the uh, getting your test back from your teacher and there's not even a grade on it and it just says see me and you're Ooh. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I, like, I don't even, like, this is either really good or really bad, and you're just going to go with really bad. So, um, another thing that's going on with me, with, uh, with Blue Oyster Cult, is this is really weird. Um, you guys have been playing a lot lately. Yeah. We're starting to slow down a little bit, which, I mean, it's not good for me, uh, financially, but it's good for me because I can start working on some other things. Um... What are you talking about, Richie? You're the rock star. Don't you make a lot of money? <laughs> I'm everybody on the internet. <laughs> no comment. So, I uh, when I was, I would say, 13 years old, uh, I met a kid named Aaron Ashkenazi. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Actually, he's a very successful mixologist now. I looked him up. As in alcohol? Yeah. Oh. He works at, um, I think, the Metropolitan. I don't know what that is. I think it, I think there's like a restaurant in the in the uh, uh, the the <laughs> there's some like I just like that there's two, some museum or something that he, there's a restaurant in. I just like that two guys who don't really like to drink and don't like to go into Manhattan are like I think it's a rest a bar a re, um <laughs> I I I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> before I met him, I was using my dad's guitar picks. Uh, they're Fender Thins. I hated them. They kept bending and breaking. I He had a pick that was like rock solid. So I told my dad, I need these picks. So we went to, I think this is before we had a music store. So he took me to 48th Street in Manhattan. Now, uh, 48th Street used to be the music district. Now it's a ghost town. Yeah. But back in the 90s when I was going there, there was uh, Manny's, Rudy's, Alex. Um, Sam Ash, We Buy Guitars. I know I'm forgetting one or two. I know there was a couple more, but yeah, it was that whole avenue. Awesome street, but I remember he took me to, I think it was Sam Ash or something, and uh, said, okay, let's see all the guitar picks you have. And I picked out, uh, and guitar players will know, and anybody who has one of my picks, uh, Gator Grip 2.0 guitar pick. Uh, It has this like textured feel. 
it's got a grip and it's super thick and I loved it because I didn't break anything. I've been using those picks since I'm 13 years old. I'm 35 now, so that's uh, 22 years I've been using the same guitar pick. Uh, Philip, my cousin, he said, you know, you should really try. He was using him too. And he goes, I switched. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I switched. I don't like those guitar picks. I said, those are the best picks. He goes, no, they're not, man. And he gave me this little John Petrucci pick. It's tiny. And it's got this like beveled fine tip. And I picked it up and I instantly played better. And I said, holy shit. Because I didn't think, I thought that was all like bullshit. You know what I mean? Like you just like what you like and that's that. But I was watching a video with Petrucci and he made this analogy to like playing fast and being a race car driver. Like, you know, in your car, you don't want anything that's going to slow down or create drag or any parts that are going to, you know, strain the engine. You know, he goes, anything that creates more work for you or has, makes you spend more energy is bad. So he, you know, it's a very specific design just to minimize, you know, all that. So I use that. And now I've been using those picks, but I don't really like that pick. It's like I'm playing better, but I don't like the way it feels. So uh, Dunlop just sent me a nice little goodie bag of picks that I'm trying. So I know people have been asking me for picks lately. I don't have them because I'm in the middle of picks right now. I'm, I'm in between <laughs> them trying a few things. Uh, the ones I think I'm going to end up going with, so guitar players, if you want to know, it's a Dunlop Jazz 3 XL Series Ultex. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Music's stupid. I'm, I'm torn between that and an Ultex 2.0. Um, basically, these are like chunkier picks, but they have this very fine point that, you know, lets you play faster uh, without slowing you down. It makes, makes it easier to play more accurately. So. so what you're saying is these picks make you have to be less talented <laughs> and play much quickly. Much well, quicker. yeah, exactly. Any 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 help you can get, you should take, right? Do you do your picks still have the the code? Yeah, but they won't anymore after this. Oh no! Because this here's the thing: these picks that I like can't be printed on. Oh, so I'm not gonna have you know custom picks anymore. I'm just gonna get a bunch of these because you can't print on them. Let's let's give the let's give the band geek listeners who have never actually been able to. Maybe see you live or only seen you live once and haven't gotten a pick. You think we could give them? Yeah. I yeah, because I'm going to have to take that down now. So it's www.richiecastellano.com slash pick. P-I-C-K. And then it'll ask you for a password. Mm-hmm. And it's, is it Zilla? The username is pick and the password is Zilla. So yeah, richiecastellano.com slash pick. Username is, one more time. Password. I mean, username is pick. And password is Zilla, Z-I-L-L-A. How long ago did we do that? Uh, oh, you helped us with that, right? I helped write that song. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reeks of you, that song. Richie and I have a very weird relationship in that I'm not, as our band geek listeners will know, I'm not super musically inclined when it comes to reading music or writing music or playing an actual instrument. But I have this association with Richie that we've been friends for so long that I will sing something to him that's completely ridiculous, not in any particular key, and then Richie will be able to translate that onto the guitar. You want to try it? Sure. Actually, I have my guitar set up here because before we started today, well, not right before we started, but earlier today, I was recording uh, my friend Joe Maluzzo's album. So I have... I actually have 
this is really fucking loud. Uh, it's, it's eight o'clock. Who cares? Uh, I have my guitar, my head. Uh, I have my angle Steve Morse head sitting right here on a chair next to me in the studio, and the cabinet is in my bathroom, uh, mic'd up <laughs> in another room. So, is the bathroom door open? Uh, yes. That's all right. Fuck it. All right. So, so uh, and and Regina, I also just to preface this just a little bit. Also have an appreciation of harmonized guitars. And the only thing I can really attribute it to is a real band, Maiden, but, uh, or Boston. But in general, just Wild Stallions. It's Wild Stallions. Come on. <laughs> um, so when, when Richie will be working on an album, it's happened a couple of times. On Morning Starlet, it happened once or twice. On this video, when you go, guys go check it out, it happened once or twice. And Richie will be playing something, and, I'll, and he'll be like, I don't know what I should do here. And I'll be like, why don't you just go... Okay, um... Ah, fuck. Right? Yeah. No, that's exactly what happens. And he goes, oh, you know what? And I'll be like, and you know what? Double guitars. <laughs> okay, so you want to double guitar this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hold on, let me try this. I'm going to have to stop the podcast and do some uh, overdubbing. So we have... Uh, and then go... There you go. That? Okay. So let me see if I can do this. One, two, three, four... Ah, shit. One, two, three, four. So, okay, I'm going to go back and harmonize that. Hold on. One, two, three, four. Like that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. I, I know what comes out of my mouth, yet then you play it, and I'm like, uh, yeah, that's exactly the thing I meant. So... <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. But like it'll just it'll happen. Or I'll just, I I really like Meadleys, and <laughs> I think you write better songs than me. I think that's what it comes down to. <laughs> but yeah, that so that video that that pick video um, uh, reeks of me. Um, and then uh, I, th- it, I think you wrote the. Uh, oh right, I remember this now. You went like it should be dragon ninja. It's pretty sure that's what happened. And. And uh, and the Morning Starlet album, it was just like you're like something's missing. I'm like another guitar, a harmonized guitar, <laughs> and then it turned into <laughs> yes. Basically, anytime I sound like you know 1983, it's all it's all Jarrett. <laughs> you should produce. You could produce records. You should, you should reach an al- <laughs> release an album spelled Richie with a Y. Um, so let's you know we we wrote down some topics before we started some things we want to cover. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really too proud of, of saying this, but whatever. I have a new hobby. I've been, uh, constructing a new lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my uncle, Phil, who's been on, who is an electrical genius, and my cousin, Phil, who's, um, my cousin, Phil, he, uh, <laughs> no, they've been helping me, uh, cause I'm completely inept. I've fucked it up ten times. Uh, basically... Uh, my friends, 2003 got me this Force Effects lightsaber. It's a Darth Vader 
you know, lightsaber, and I played with it so much that I broke it, which is what everybody's been warning me about. Uh, oh, you mean those Star Trek golf clubs? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I've been trying to rebuild it and fix it, and it's sort of like an electrical hobby. My house is a mess right now. There's solder everywhere. Uh, so that's something I've been doing. Uh, that's your uncle talking. Yes. <laughs> so if you see me post pictures of, you know, metal pieces, I'm not building a bomb. I'm just trying to fix my expensive Star Wars toy. Yep. <laughs> I just like, I, I like that that's your new hobby. <laughs> you know what? It's kind of fun because it's like electronics and, you know, it's soldering and it's problem solving. It's it's as close as you can be to being an actual Jedi, kind of. <laughs> I'm constructing my new lightsaber. <laughs> your, your father wanted you to have this after I cut his legs off. <laughs> Um, another thing that we're going to start trying to do is maybe incorporate a little bit of news, like, uh, mu- like music news and nerd news, like band news and geek news. Uh, one thing I thought is kind of interesting is, uh, I read that Megadeth is releasing a new album bit by bit. Like they're releasing the drum tracks and then the rhythm guitar tracks and like like in pieces. Why? If I'm wrong, if someone you know correct me. Um, First, tell Richie that he has a stupid face. Then correct him on his <laughs> Megadeth news. <laughs> what? Is, no. What is? Why would you do that? I don't know. I mean, that seems I, weird. Well, you know what it is. It's like the whole idea of releasing stuff on a timetable is sort of you can't do that anymore. Like people want you to constantly release shit. So if you're the type of group that it takes, you know. 10 months to make an album, that means that's 10 months that people aren't getting stuff from you. Right, but, I mean, I understand, I think we've mentioned it before, where, like, the music industry has changed. It's very hard to release a full album now, because people hear tracks individually, they listen to them on Pandora and Spotify and Apple Music, and they just want to buy the individual tracks that they want, and it's mm-hmm. very hard to have, like, a cohesive <clears throat> album. But why? Yeah, would... that's not even this, this is just, like... No, but that's what I'm saying, why would you, why would you just be, like... Here you go. This is this is from metalsucks.com and uh they're calling it like a a mega tease. Uh so they got some yesterday we got some Chris Adler drums, today it's rhythm guitars. Um it's little samples of Well, you know what? Uh Ron did that when he was making his album. Like he'll he'll put on like an Instagram clip of him editing the drums. Or mixing something, or doing some rhythm guitars. I guess that's just to like draw up excitement. Oh, so they're not releasing like like the, full tracks. That's what no. I was gonna say. Are they releasing like a three and a half minute song where it's just like here's <laughs> here's the 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 bass, here's backing tro- backing vocal too. That's what it sounded like that they were doing. That seems so silly. <laughs> I don't know if I. You know, I, I've released um, four four CDs? Uh, Alone in My Basement, Progeny. Um, yeah, four CDs. 1990, uh, yeah, no, Progeny was 1999. So I have four CDs. I don't know if, if I want to make a fifth one. I think what I would do is I would just release songs one at a time. You could release an EP. You could make like a four-track thing. I got to tell you, EPs rub me the wrong way. <laughs> really grinds your gears. It does. It's like, you know what? Either 
release a single. Like EP's like, eh, we didn't really want to do a full album, so here's like a half of an album. A lot of people release EPs before they release the whole album. Like they'll release it and then like four or five months will go by and then the whole album comes out with all the songs that were on the EP. I got no problem with people releasing EPs. I just don't want to do it myself. I don't want to say here's like, you know, here's half of something. I'm like, here's the whole thing. Uh, I I mean, I have enough songs to probably make another album, but you know, it's, I feel like it's diminishing returns. People can't concentrate on 10 songs at once anymore. Like you're better off saying, here's one song, digest this. And when you're done with this, there's another song. You know what I mean? I miss the cassette singles or even the CD singles where it would be one song. So you'd go and you'd be like, here's um, uh, Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm -hmm. And then here's Under the Bridge, the reggae calypso mix. And then, yep. like, here's Under the Bridge, the Donny B Club Remix 93. <laughs> like, it was just the same song with just terrible, terrible, like, non-associative music with it. I miss those. I, I do not. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sort of uh, torn with that whole subject because I really like albums and I liked the format of the albums. But y you know what it is? There was a point where... You could buy an album and listen to it cover to cover for most bands. You know what I mean? Like, because the album was made to be uh, an entity. Yeah. But then um, I think maybe in the 90s it happened where it became mostly filler. Like, you, there was there was the song you really wanted. Like, you know, I really wanted to buy Ice Ice Baby and I didn't want to. But I was given eight other Vanilla Ice songs I didn't care about. You know what I mean? So nowadays, I could just go buy Ice Ice Baby, and I kind of like that for those kinds of albums. But an album that, I mean, really, it's up to the listener to decide, is this an album or is this a collection of tunes where I should just buy the ones I want? I think, I think it's mostly that because I think a lot of the songs now are produced to be singles because of the yep. way that they're played. So when you buy an album, it's not more like, I want to hear this entire story or I want to hear this vision that the, you know, the, the artist had on this album, you know, and see how cohesive it sounds. It's like, I like enough of these songs where I will listen to the rest of them. That's how, I, that's personally how I feel. There are still bands that like, I'm just like, no, they, they're good. Like they start at the beginning and it goes through the entire album and it has a feel and you want to listen to it from start to finish. Well, if, if an album, see, this is really like a pop thing because what they do, and to my understanding at least, what they do with pop music is they'll get a team of writers and basically um, if so-and-so artist du jour wants to buy your song, then you have like you and the production team, you go work on that song only. Meanwhile, if that artist picks another song from another team, they're also working on it. So instead of doing one song at a time, the, your, the album is being made simultaneously. Uh, if there's an album with 10 songs on it, you have 10 teams working on the song simultaneously or each team doing two songs. Right. So that gets that helps them release product quicker. All the artist has to do is go from studio to studio or have these people actually especially I think in the R&B field what they do is they'll bring you a fully composed track. The art they send it to the artist. The artist sings over the track at their studio. And that's it. And then they take that vocal and they have to produce the song around it. So all these songs are being produced at the same time. If you look at, like, say, a Pink Floyd-style album, that's one producer. You know what I mean? That's one, 
you know, one team that just is methodically going through everything to get a cohesive sound. Right. Um, that being said, even, like I can listen to Dark Side of the Moon or the, the Wall all the way through because of its cohesion. But if it's a pop album with enough killer songs on it, like um, you can use Teenage Teenage Dream, Dream I can listen to all the way through because there's no dead spots on it. There's no shit. You yeah. know what I mean? It's all. You know, another Facebook thing I had is someone arguing me about Katy Perry. Look, I get it. Katy Perry's not Pink Floyd, but there's no flies on Teenage Dream. It's it's a good start to finish. Yeah. So, but you have to like pop music. If you don't like pop music, you're not going to like that that sort of you know thing. I I don't like Taylor Swift, but damn if Shake It Off isn't like an energetic. It's a good ass song. song. Uh, I want to. Uh, uh, can we bring this back again? I'm yeah. gonna bring it full circle, actually, because we skipped over that topic and we Do said it. we would come back to it. Do it. Talking about shitty albums, a lot of artists or a lot of people will take take another artist and then want to cover their song or their style. So it'll be like you know this this particular artist is doing a, a an album completely covering this other artist from like 20 years ago. In 2007 or 2008, I believe, Scarlett Johansson made an album covering Tom Waits' music. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I worked on the album. Um, My cousin was working for uh, AOL Music, which was Time Warner, which is Warner Brothers. Um, And she was 18. And I have... I shouldn't, (laughs) but I do... I have all the tracks and all the rough tracks and all the interviews um, at home because I had to take stuff with me to work on it to transcribe stuff. Right. And it's bad. It's like it's real bad. But I love Scarlett Johansson. This is the problem. She was she, – I think she was like 18 or 19 at the time. Like she hadn't really been in a lot of stuff yet. But she was such a bitch and had, like, an entourage with her. It makes me so angry that I like her so much now. She's so good. Yeah. Look, her, Lucy, Avengers, uh, what else did I just see her in? Matchpoint. She, like, every movie, she's, like, killing. She's awesome. Even, um, Aside from how hot she is. Like, she's <laughs> such a good actress. Even, even just in her, her voice as uh, the computer... I want, um, one of those. I want one of those. I want one of those. I want one of those. You just want to stick your dick in a CD tray. <laughs> but she, I want one of those too. <laughs> but she, I mean, like, what? Like, that's, I guess, Hollywood. I guess, like, she was just like, I just want to, I want to cover Tom Waits tunes. And she had so much enthusiasm behind it. Like, they mean so much to me and it moved me in such a, a big way and stuff like that. Then wouldn't you want to not touch that? Like, that would be like if you decided you were like, I love Rubber Soul. I think I'm going to do it myself and, and release it. You know what, though? If you're – I feel like with her, she's an attractive 18-year-old girl. She's an actress. Yeah. And someone was just willing to throw money at her and say, what can you do? And it's, I'll, I could do a, you know, an album of Tom Waits songs. Uh, and they look, they look, okay, sure, here's money, go do it. You know, you'll, you'll sell stuff just out of on name recognition. And if they can make the album under budget, they'll make money for it. You know, if it cost them $10,000 to make that album, they definitely made that back. You know what I mean? I think, I think, she, honestly, I think, and this is why it's bringing it full circle. I think she was just coming off of Lost in Translation and was like starting to pop, Yeah. I guess. But I guess it was just like, no, like I want to act, but then I also want to write music and I also want to do that. And it's just, it... It was bad news all around. 
and there's a reason why people don't really know about it too much. The, you know, it, it's for the most part, you, you meet people and they're nice, and uh, but every once in a while you meet someone you admire and they're shitty. I think it was just because she was just young Hollywood. Like I feel like now she wouldn't be like that. I could be wrong, but I love seeing. Well, I think we've talked about it before. I love meeting people you admire. You know in the entertainment industry and they couldn't be fucking nicer. Like that's, and that's going back to what you were saying too, where you're like, you don't really troll or write bad comments and stuff like that because as a musician and as a performer, that can come back to you. It'd be like, well, he's, he, right. you know, he's, he's trash talking, you know, this thing that I made or, you know, you just want to, you want to be as graceful as you can, but it also can get, you know, weird and, you know, <laughs> intrusive sometimes, but still, but I think it was just cause she was young, hot shit Hollywood, but Oh god, that that irritated me, and I still to this day tell my cousin like, "I'm sorry, <laughs> you remember that Scarlett Johansson album you helped produce? That was real." <laughs> it's just is, is it available? Um, I think so. I I I don't see why it wouldn't be. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up. <laughs> I want to see if we could get a, uh, a clip of this. A clip of this that'd be awesome. And here's the thing: I'm not the biggest Tom Waits fan either, so <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I like Tom Waits. Lose, lose. He's alright, but it's just, I was never. Was it my sound, man? <laughs> okay, Scarlett Johansson. Tom Waits. Tom Waits. And I'm always curious if it was like something she decided she wanted to do, or somebody was like, she has a raspy voice. He has a raspy voice. Okay, the album is called Anywhere I Lay in Anywhere I, I Lay, lay my, my Head. Head. That's it. It's a debut album by American actress Scarlett Johansson, released on May 16th, 2008, by Atco Records. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Critical reception. Mixed reviews. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes gave it a. Oh my god! I I made like I said we had a we had a day off last week. I made Eric watch one of my favorite movies, uh, Gentleman Broncos. Okay. And he hated it. Really? And I'm like, I was like, but it's such a great movie. And then I looked it up, like on Rotten Tomatoes, every critic panned it. Every single one. It was an indie film, right? It was the, it was about the guy who write um, that's the guy who writes like a science fiction a science fiction story, and then an act, like a, a successful writer publishes it without his like steals right, his idea. Right, right, okay. So I thought he was gonna love it, and he was like, "This is horrible." And I'm, and and he was nice enough because he knew I liked the movie, so he was super nice about it. But I was like, "No, this is such a great movie." And then I read all the like the Met- the uh, Rotten Tomatoes things, and I'm like, "Wow, you know what?" I think I just have to accept that I like shitty movies a lot. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with those shitty movies. They're enjoyable. We were just talking about the fact that we like the, the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah. They're fun. There's a fucking scene in that last Fast and Furious. Spoilers, sorry. There's a scene in it where The Rock like, goes off an overpass, I think with an ambulance or something, <laughs> and he runs into a drone that's trying to shoot down like one of their cars. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a drone flying with like a machine gun on the drone, like a rail gun. And it's flying through the air, shooting out one of the cars that, that, that you know, it's friends with the rock. And the rock drives off the overpass in midair and takes out the fucking drone, right? Gets out of the car. You know, he's fine, by the way, after, you know, jumping over the overpass. He, he picks up the machine gun that was attached to the drone and is using it to shoot down, like, other cars. <laughs> and he's dragging the drone on the ground behind him. And then, like, every time there's, like, a beat, there's, like, he says something awesome. Well, like... You know, 
I'll take the check, please. You know, or something like some like awesome like catchphrase. Way like, awesome, than, way awesomer than what you just said. <laughs> yeah, well, you pick one. Like, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was always like something like that. I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about, and this is sort of interesting. Um, I don't know if I should be discussing this, but whatever. Spoilers. Uh, th- I think next year is going to be the. 40th anniversary of Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. and I've been contacted by Queen's management uh, if, if they could have permission to use my video. Huh. And I said, no. No, I said, <laughs> I said absolutely. So I don't know what they're doing Dig with Dig up it. Freddie Mercury's bones no. <laughs> before I agree to that. No, so I agreed to it, and I don't know what they're doing with it, but... I look forward to it, and hopefully I'll be able to share and post something soon. It's weird that Brian May would go on YouTube and be the first person to comment and say that you're stupid. And <laughs> no, Actually, to the contrary, Brian May, on his blog, posted my video. I remember that. and I, I Which is a huge compliment. Dude, I, I cried when I saw it. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not getting all jerky on you. I actually, like... You know, I came into work one day, and our friend Damien was like, dude, did you see Brian May's website? I'm like, no. He goes, come here. And I went to the computer at the store, and I read it, and I started crying a little bit. I'm like, they're like, you all right? I'm like, dude, this is my favorite guitar player on earth, and I'm on his website, and he's posting something that I did. Like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, but you cry when you drop your sandwich, too. It's not really hard to make you cry. <laughs> I was sharing a beautiful moment with you, Mark. <laughs> We can't can't share beautiful moments anymore. We've known each other too long. All right. On that note, here's some really goofy music that I wrote for my Kung Fu movies, Tiger's Fang. Go on uh, YouTube uh, and look up Tiger's Fang, or you can go to my friend Steve's channel, which I believe is uh, Rickon Player. Uh, That is, I'll tell you the exact spelling of that right now. YouTube. And if you go down the Tiger's Fang YouTube hole, you'll see a lot of band geek guests. You'll see... Obviously, Richie, you'll see uh, me, you'll see Anne-Marie, you'll see Tony Hansen, who's been on the show, Um, you'll see uh, possibly some Blue Oyster Cult members. Yeah, it's Rickon Player, R-I-C-K-E-N Player, Uh, like Rickenbacker, Mm -hmm. Rickon Player. Um, So check that out. There's also some stuff of Anne-Marie and her old band on there, and some he has some stuff from me playing at Nam. Yeah, Steve used to come to a lot, a lot of gigs and like take lots of pictures and 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 yeah. post lots of videos and stuff like that. So definitely check his, out his page. Yeah, it's a longtime friend. Of and, mine. He has an, and he has a and he has an album. Didn't you? Did you work on that album? Yes, uh, his album is called. Steve, uh, it's under the name Stevie Ray Corn. Uh, that's his like performing name. So uh, yeah, check that. out. I played a lot of leads on that. Another thing I played uh, leads on is what's, what's the name of this album? Something Jupiter. I gotta remember. I gotta give a little plug here to some of the stuff I've been working on. While Richie's looking that up, you can follow him at, at rich underscore Castellano on Twitter. Uh, I am at more kazoo. Uh, if you like Andy, he is uh, at Andy Ascolese. Ascole is it? Uh, the other album I played on is by a bunch of uh, really talented musicians who also happen to be. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult fans, and the name of the album is called Cloud Over Jupiter, and it's uh, by a guy named Jerry King, and I think uh, his band is called Fifth Mass from the Sun. So check that out. I played on one of the tunes, and 
came out pretty cool. So, okay, here's some Tiger's Fang music to, uh, which one should I play? I think we'll make like a little medley. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you more work. Fuck you. Um, Pick one, and then maybe I'll uh, release. I, I really like the Jade Shadow theme song. Yeah, right, so we'll do the Jade Shadow or, theme. No, or the Master Lane theme. Ugh. They're both short. Do both. Both? Why not? Okay, fine. Uh, so we'll start with the uh, Master Lane theme, fo- uh, followed by the Jade Shadow theme. Thank you for listening this week, Band Geek fans.